John chapter 21, I'm going to read from verse 15 to verse 19. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray once again. O oh God, our God, our God forever and ever, will you grant that we may hear and rightly respond to the question of Christ this morning, that we may love the Son, that we may be entirely attached to him and learn to follow him. Lord, grant that we may search our souls even now, that we might be able to give the right answer to this necessary question, do you love me? Hear us and help us by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do you love me is not usually a pleasant question to be asked. Sometimes it's unpleasant because it comes from a position of ignorance or suspicion or accusation. If you're a parent, how do you feel? How would you feel if your child came to you and said, Dad, Mum, do you love me? You'd be heartbroken. Or a husband or a wife. Your husband comes to you, your wife comes to you. Do you love me? Of course I love you. You know that I love you. Sometimes the question is painful because of the spirit in which it's asked. Sometimes it's painful because of the one who is being asked the question. It could be that sin has provoked it. So maybe a parent has been angry. Maybe a spouse has been distant. And when the question comes, do you love me? You have provoked that question in some measure. Whether or not it's sin in the one who asks or sin in the one who's being asked, it is an unpleasant question. There's no sin in Christ, of course, as he asks this question of Peter. 
but it doesn't make it any the more pleasant. Christ is asking this question, we might say, in order to clean out Peter's wound. We're going to be back in Luke's Gospel this evening and maybe this will be a helpful preparative for what we have to say then. But you know that Peter has denied his Lord three times. It's probably the reason why three times the question gets asked. To ask it once, but to ask it three times. Why? Because Christ needs to get to the depths of Peter's wound and to make sure that there's no muck or filth left in it. It is then a probing question. It goes deep into your soul. It's a painful question because it gets to the very point of our relationship to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's a humbling question because we cannot answer it as completely and as beautifully and as readily as we might always wish. It can be a distressing question. Because it brings us to the point of asking what our relationship to Jesus really is. And it's a searching question because it should carry every one of us into the very depths of our being to ask about the the fundamental disposition and attachment of my heart or yours. So three times the Lord Jesus presses this question upon Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the third answer that Peter gives brings him, it seems, to where he really needs to be and where we need to be. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, there's no more important question that could be put to anybody here this morning than this. Do you love Jesus Christ? I want you to hear that question coming from his lips, not just to Peter, but through Peter to you and me. Our circumstances are not precisely the same, but the question we need to answer is, do you love me, says Jesus Christ? No more important question to answer And no more important answer to give than the one that Peter offers. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You notice that in answering the question, Peter is no longer boasting in himself. But he is appealing to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that appeal is on three levels. There's an appeal to the perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know all things. There's an appeal to personal knowledge. You, Lord, you know something about me. And there's an appeal to positive knowledge. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And this is what we need to be able to say this morning. So the appeal to Christ's perfect knowledge Lord, you know all things. You know all things. Now, what is Peter confessing here? He is confessing that he is dealing with the man who is also God, with the incarnate Son. Only of God can it be said that he knows 
all things. This is omniscience, to use the technical label. This is the complete, perfect, entire, total knowledge of the infinite, eternal and unchangeable God of everything that ever is, was and will be. And when Peter looks into the eyes of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he is confessing here not just that Jesus knows quite a lot, but that as the Messiah of God, as God in the flesh, the knowledge of the risen Jesus of Nazareth extends to the farthest possible bounds and to the deepest possible depths. There is nothing that is hidden from Jesus Christ. Nothing that was hidden then and nothing that is hidden now. It is not just that when we talk of him high and lifted up, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that we say he's got a good vantage point. Sometimes you, you, you reach a, a high peak and you say, this is going to be wonderful. Friends of mine uh, took me to uh, a high mountain when I was in Tennessee. We drove for about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, we drove up through hills. Uh, we parked higher than Ben Nevis and we walked about a mile and a half to get to this knob of rock where they said you will get a 360 degree view. We got a 360 degree view of the cloud that had descended on the peak. I was in a high place. I still couldn't see very much because of the circumstances, because of the weakness of my eyes, because of the cloud that was around us. It's not just the vantage point. This is the knowledge of God himself that belongs to the Son of God. He's not just on a high point with a good view. He sees everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He sees everything that is past, everything that is present, everything that is future. Nothing can be hidden from him. He sees all that is outward and external in your life. He sees all that is inward, that is internal in your life. His eye penetrates to the very depths of your being. Your soul is known to him. All the intents and the motions of your heart. You heard recently how John saw this Jesus with eyes like a flame of fire. It's quite likely that that imagery communicates at least something of what we might call the penetrating gaze of our Lord Jesus and Peter's looking into his eyes. I don't want you to think that they're glowing with some supernatural flame. But the reality, Lord, you know all things. Now that makes this a very weighty appeal, doesn't it? If you said to me, Oh, you, you, you know. Maybe a child comes to a parent and the, the, the father or the mother has said, you know, is this what you've done? Oh, Dad, you, 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 you know. Not necessarily. If I knew all things, then that would carry a bit of weight. Jesus Christ does know all things. 
And Peter is saying that he is ready and willing to expose his claim to the entirety of the knowledge of his saviour Jesus Christ. He comes to the God-man who knows all things and he appeals to his perfect knowledge. Everything is naked and open before the eyes of the God with whom you have to do. There's not a thing that you or I do, even what we imagine is secret, hidden, anonymous and unknown. That the God of heaven, the Christ of God, does not entirely discern. Lord, you know all things. Whatever follows on from this is going to hang off the solemnity of that great claim. So Peter appeals to Christ's perfect knowledge. Lord, you know all things. And then building on that and leading from that, he appeals to Christ's personal knowledge. Lord, you know that I. There is relationship here. There is connection. This knowledge is not distant, but immediate and intimate. Now there is no murmur of comparison. Do you remember how, at least in Matthew's version of Peter's boast, Lord, even if everyone else deserts you, I'll be the man who stands firm. That's entirely gone now from Peter's disposition. Lord, you know all things and you know me. This is no longer about what the others will do. He hasn't quite got rid of that in verse 21. Lord, what about this man? He's still Peter. But in terms of, of this transaction, this communication, it's not about who's better or who's worse, who stands or who's for who falls. But Lord, you know what's going on in my heart. And that's important, my friends, because not everybody does. A lot of people assume that they can trace what's going on in our hearts. And there is a, there is a, a skill, a, a righteous skill, a wisdom in that. I think there are occasions when the Lord Jesus, when he was upon earth, he could tell what was going on in men's hearts, in part at least, because he could see what was going on on their faces, because he could see what was taking place. And you can see sometimes, can't you, by the way someone acts or by the expression on their face or you hear it in the tone of their voice and you're able to say in measure, I think I know what's going on inside by what I'm seeing on the outside. But how often do we impute evil? How often do we draw the wrong conclusions from what people are saying or doing? We assume that we've got some kind of hotline into their souls. We've got x-ray vision for their hearts. This is what you're thinking. This is what you're doing. This is how you're feeling. This is why you're acting. And we can then offer all manner of cruel or false accusations. Sometimes it's because we're ignorant. Ignorant because our antennae aren't finely tuned or ignorant because someone may be, for whatever reason, hiding or, or just not fully expressing some of what's going on in their souls. 
those conversations where you go, yeah, but I don't know what you feel unless you tell me. I don't know what's going on unless you explain it to me. You may struggle sometimes to know what's going on in your own heart. Don't you find yourself sometimes a mass of contradictions? Don't you find yourself sometimes a heap of confusions? You feel at times a battle that is going on in your own soul. Paul the Apostle talks about that in Romans. I'm willing to do what I will not to do. There's tension, there's conflict within me. It may be that there are occasions when that question, do you love me? You're saying whatever the equivalent for love would be of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I I love, help me to love you more. That's what we were just singing in the hymn. Lord, I love you and adore, but oh, for grace to love you more. Your love seems to be diminished. It's become cool. There's other things battling in your soul. Perhaps there's some carnal affection that's been coming in upon you. Something else that's been taking your attention and drawing you away. The challenge comes in your own heart. How do I answer this? Peter helps us. Lord, even if I don't know myself, even if other people don't know me. Lord, you know all things and you know me. You see me through and through. And though I may face accusations and though I may struggle with confusions and distractions, everything about me is known to you. Now, is that a trouble to you or a comfort to you? And the answer might be yes. Every detail of your life, every thought, every word and every deed the things that you hope no one ever finds out about, the things that you're trying to keep hidden from others, the Lord knows them altogether. And so he knows all the circumstances of the sins that you commit. He knew Peter's pride. He heard that, Lord, even if all others forsake you, I will stand with you. I'm going to be with you even to the point of death. He knew Peter's fear in the garden when the mob arrived. And Peter, having drawn his sword and waved it around for a bit and cut off the servant, the ear of the servant, fled with the others. He saw Peter's wrestling when he crept back and stood there in the courtyard. He saw the fear restored. And even, it's fearful, isn't it? Peter can stand for a few moments in the garden against the mob. Peter can recover enough to creep back into the courtyard to be close enough to see Jesus when he's being questioned by the Sanhedrin. And then it's the servant girl. And Jesus knew that when a girl challenged him, Peter, with curses and blasphemies, said, I don't even know the man. And that's why the Lord turned and looked at Peter in the courtyard. But the Lord knew Peter's repentings. The Lord knew how he went out and wept 
bitterly. The Lord knew the grief and the distress of Peter's heart. The Lord knew Peter's attachment to him. Christ knew all the details of his sinning. Christ knew all the workings of his repentings. Christ knew all the actings of his faith. Christ knew all the confusion of these days when he was so let's let's go fishing again let's go back to our old trade and Christ knew what was going on in his heart as he looked into his eyes and asked him three times Peter Simon son of Jonah do you love me notice he started off more than these (coughs) Peter's not playing that game anymore Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Do you love me? And it grieves Peter. Because the wound is being cleaned down to its very depths. Because all the muck of his fear and his unbelief and his confusion is being scraped out. Lord, you see to the very depths of my being. There is nothing that can be hidden from you. Perhaps running through Peter's mind were some of the words of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Lord, you know all things. So you know all there is to know about me. You know everything that has taken place. You know the sins that I have committed. You know the repenting tears that I have wept. You know the confusions and the distresses that have characterized me. Everything that is in me, you know. And so he appeals to the Lord Jesus' positive knowledge. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Again, this is not a boast. This is a profession. My love may be weak, but, oh Lord, you know that I love you. My love may be faint, But it is true. My love may be variable. It is not perfectly pure. It has its ebbs and its flows. My love may be unreliable. It is subject to to assaults. And sometimes when assaulted, it seems to fade, if not entirely to fail. But it is true love. I really do love you. It is fixed upon you. And it is fixed nowhere else. Peter is learning not to love himself. That's what pride does. And that's why pride boasts. Peter is not loving the works that he has done, the efforts that he has made, the the reputation that he had, the position to which he attained among the disciples. No, Lord, as I look into your eyes, you know all things. You know that I love you solemn words but no higher court to what else could Peter appeal 
Not they know. Not even I know. But Lord, you know. You know everything. You know this about me. You know that I love you. This is humble certainty. This is a man who is laying open his heart before God. And he says, Lord, you you can see everything. You can see everything that was wrong. You can see everything that was foul. You can see everything that was vile. But you can also see what you have done in my heart. And you can see that at root, I do love you. And that is a love that must be built upon trust. A love that has its roots in faith. Love doesn't save you by bringing you to Jesus Christ. Faith holds fast to Jesus Christ. But the Christ to whom you hold fast is a Christ who you love. A Christ whose delightfulness, whose beauty, whose majesty and whose glory comes to entrance your heart. That in trusting him, I must love him. I love you, Lord. I trust you. I love you, Lord, and I am attached to you. I will go where you want me to go. I will serve as you want me to serve. You notice how every time Peter professes his love, there's a variation on the instruction. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Simon, son of Jonah, if you're really mine, then I will be all in all to you and you will serve me. You will do what I ask you to do. Follow me. Verse 19. There's the fruit of love. Follow me. Trust. Attachment. Service. And sacrifice. What had Peter boasted? Lord, I'm ready to follow you even to death. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter had boasted, I'll follow you anywhere, even to death. Now on the back of a declaration of humble love, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Peter, you will. You will. But not in your own strength, but in mine. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And that follow me, those are the words that Peter had first heard when Christ met him by the Sea of Galilee. Three denials. Three questions, three affirmations. Peter, you do love me. I know all things. I know this about you. I know that you love me. Peter, follow me. Remember who hears these words from Peter. Remember into whose eyes the apostle is looking. This is the risen Jesus Christ. This is the man who loved Peter and gave himself for Peter. Peter has seen undeniably, awfully, the love of Jesus Christ for him. 
And now Peter looks into the eyes of the risen Saviour. Perhaps as Christ holds out his hands to him, he can see the nail prints in those hands. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know my need. You know my sin. You know my weakness. But I have come to you and I cast myself upon you. You know all things. And you know this about me. You know that I love you. Now Christ asks you that question this morning. You may not have sinned like Peter, but you are a sinner like Peter. Do you love me? It's actually a very gracious question. Not do you love me extravagantly. Not do you love me perfectly. Not have you got great demonstrations of your love that you can point to. But simply this. Do you love me in a way that shows you trust me? Do you love me so that you have become attached to me? Do you love me so that you are now willing to serve me? Do you love me so that you are willing to sacrifice for me? Peter, do you love me truly and sincerely? And can you say what Peter says? Lord, you know all things. You are the risen Christ, the God-man, the eternal Son, now lifted up on high, with eyes like a flame of fire, which penetrate to the very marrow and sinews of my soul that divide between the, the most intimate parts of my humanity. You are the one who laid down your life for me, the one who suffered and died in order that my sins might be cleansed, the one who provided a perfect righteousness so that I might be accepted with God. And Lord, my love is imperfect. My love is flawed. My love is incomplete. My love is weak. My love is faint. My love is variable. My love is unreliable. But you do know this, that I love you as one who has been loved by you. I love you as someone who is repenting of my sins. I love you as someone who trusts you entirely to deliver me from death and hell. I love you as someone who has been restored to God by you. And I love you as someone who, if you hold me up, will live and if you will, die for you. And if you can sit here this morning and say, from a sincere heart, to this Jesus, in this sense, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then he is yours. You are his. And living and dying, all will be well with your soul. Amen.